You're listening to the Boozeworks Podcast. This podcast is a service of Boozeworks Consulting, a full-service craft alcohol consulting firm. And now the host of the Boozeworks Podcast, Devin Mills. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Boozeworks Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Mills, and this is episode number seven. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a little bit about beer filtration. Uh, particularly, we're going to be talking about kind of the final production filtration, not so much water or steam or any of the other times, you know, fining uh, that we're using filtration in the brewery. So filtration has been going on for a, a long time at this point. It was created in the 1880s in Munich, uh, and basically they started off using paper. Uh, paper was really, you know, available, and it was easy to see. You ran the stream through there. Uh, some material was left on top on the paper as well as some staining. Uh, so they were using basically a single-use filter, uh, just putting that in the, the stream of beer as it was moving through to final processing. In doing this, they discovered that it made the beer last longer, and they didn't have as much spoilage problems. Pretty much a couple of years later at the World's Fair in Paris, uh, there were dozens of filtered beer styles from all over the world that were being used. Basically, once it was created, it spread all over the place almost immediately. Initially, we were using paper. After that, we moved over to diatomaceous earth, DE. So we're talking 40 years later in the U.S. Uh, is when diatomaceous earth kind of took the next step in, in evolution of beer filtration. Since then, we've seen the development of sheet filters, cartridge filters, membrane filters, and then even today we're moving into you know ceramics and cross-flow filters. So things have really you know just kept moving and evolving. The reason we're doing this filtration is pretty much the the same reason that they started doing it back in the 1800s. Uh, we're trying to create clearer beers. We want to make sure we're removing yeast, getting rid of any chill haze, any sediment that may have made it all the way through the process. And it also helps with our shelf stability. So we're reducing bacteria into the beer. Uh, we're ensuring there's no secondary fermentation uh, in our kegs, cans, or bottles. Uh, and then also, this enables us to ship that beer farther, whether it's across the country or around the world, uh, without requiring uh, that we have as much, you know, refrigeration. Now, it's not quite to the level of, you know, pasteurization uh, in removing bacteria. It can be, but it's really expensive. But it's still really widens that circle of where you can send your beer to without worrying that something terrible is going to happen. So diatomaceous earth is the old way of doing things at this point in time. It's not used as much anymore, uh, and mostly that's due to some health and safety concerns. Uh, it's an OSHA-regulated substance. Breathing it in is is really terrible for you. You can get silicosis. You know, If you are one of the breweries out there still using DE, make sure you're using a mask every time you're handling it. Uh, you really want to make sure you're not breathing it in. Uh, what it really is, though... Uh, is it's basically the fossilized remains of diatoms, which were basically like an ancient algae. There are silica-based particulate matter. There is some aluminum oxide in there. And you can buy a whole variety of different grades, depending on how fine you want it to be, what you're looking to remove, uh, and then, of course, how fine your, your trap filters are afterwards. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to take this powder that we buy, and it's going to get turned into a paste, put on our plate, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about four ounces per barrel. You know, we're going to need more filtration if we're going to be moving more beer through it. And it's, you know, it really is a great filter for primary clarification, removing those large amounts of yeast we're going to see when we first come off of there. With sheet filtration, we're kind of almost stepping back into, you know, the original usage of paper. The sheets are primarily made of cellulose. 
uh, similar to paper, but they also can contain some DE uh, perlite, you know, which is a, like a volcanic rock. And then it's all bound together with a food grade resin. Uh, this enables us to have a little bit more control uh, over what that filter's doing. These filters kind of come in in micron ratings. Uh, it's a nominal rating. They're not actually going to stop 100% of the particulate matter greater than that size limit, but they're going to stop a lot of it. They're also going to grab some other things along the way. The nice thing about these sheet filters, though, is we can stack them. So we can have, you know, a very coarse filter at first and then work our way down to finer filters. This way, the coarse filter can allow those finer mediums to really work better. It really works, you know, okay, well, today I'm trying to make a, a cloudier beer, so we're only going to go with the grosser membranes. We're not going to worry about the ultra-fine stuff. Sheet media basically end up uh, getting called plate filters, lenticular filters, which are really basically the same thing, different orientation, different shape. There's some other slight differences between them, but they basically all work uh, like sheet filters. Uh, of course, the downside of sheet filters, they're a little bit more costly. You end up replacing them more often than you would a cartridge filter. Because of that, they take a little bit more work. You've got to get in there, change out filters uh, you know, on a regular basis. At the end of the day, though, you can get some really nice product using these sheet filters because you have that custom customization that'll allow you to dial in exactly how much filtration you need for every given product. Cartridge filters are kind of what's trendy right now. They are incredibly easy to use. They're incredibly easy to find. I know a lot of breweries out there just going down and buying the 12-inch filters that you can get, you know, at Home Depot or Lowe's rather than trying to go out and buy some of the, you know, the larger commercial 30-inch filters. It doesn't matter. They're all over the place. Basically, they come in two types. They can either be a double-ended filter, a single-ended filter, and it just changes how you pump into the membrane. Double-ended filters have two failure points, so it's generally easier to just buy the single-sided uh, ones, uh, and they can also withstand a lot more pressure. Some of the other nice things about cartridge filters is that they can really hold uh, a lot of solids. You can run them for a very long time. With the sheets, uh, once they get covered, that's kind of the end of it. But by pleating these cartridge filters, you can have a much higher surface area than you would with a sheet filter. And so that allows us then to stack more stuff into that filter while still having a good flow rate. We can also, similar to the sheet, stack them in series so that we can start off with, you know, a 10 micron filter, go down to, you know, a one and a half micron. And then, you know, if we're going to be doing some of our fine filtration, maybe we're running a half micron there at the end. By having multiple filters in series, you can take the, the big chunks out at the front, not clog up your small ones as fast, and the larger micron filters tend to be a little bit cheaper. So you can just kind of eat those, replace them, move on. Something that affects the distillers out there listening is that cartridge filters generally are made of uh, polypropylene. Problem with polypropylene for distillers is that high-proof spirits will eat the plastic and it will degrade faster than it will if we're using it for beer. Uh, for the beer guys, hey... It works great. It's cheaper than, you know, buying a metal filter because those are nuts expensive. It's very stable. We can kind of run it and get the same results over and over again. And cartridge filters themselves are actually designed with an absolute micron rating. So if you buy a one micron cartridge filter, nothing will pass through it uh, that is greater than one micron. That gives you a lot of kind of security knowing exactly what's going on. Uh, if you're using DE or one of the sheet filters, you can certainly pass things through that you didn't mean to, uh, typically if your pressure just bumps up a little bit. 
We can also take these cartridge filters and back flush them, and that's going to allow us to regenerate the filter. Once it starts getting, you know, about 70%, once we see the pressure spikes get up there somewhere around 20 PSI, you pump through it backwards with, you know, clean water, and that'll actually push a lot of that stuff that the filter's caught back out. Uh, then we're able to dump that, you know, into the sewer, and now the filter is kind of cleaned up and can be used again. We'll see a pressure drop after those back flushing. Between having a longer life due to the long, the bigger surface area, being able to clean them, and then being relatively inexpensive uh, to begin with, we can get a lot of economies out of these cartridge filters, which is why we see most people switching over to them right now. They're cheap and easy. The next kind of layer of filtration are membrane filters. They're built similar to our cartridge filters, but instead of being built out of polypropylene and kind of a, a mesh network, they're built out of you know polymers like nylon. This allows them to be very consistent in their size and have a very stable pore structure. And the reason that's important is we can use these membrane filters when we need to do biological filtering. And so we can say this filter will not pass anything greater than half micron, similar to the cartridge filters, but then we can also say, and it will strip all bacteria or all bacteria of a certain type out of our beer. The problem with these filters is they can get overloaded if there's too much particulate matter. Uh, and so they need to be used as our you know, final filter and are really supposed to be stuck right at the very end before we go into our packaging equipment. Uh, we don't want to run them earlier in the process. They're more expensive. And all of a sudden, if you haven't removed everything you possibly can before that point, they can get clogged and we're replacing them very frequently. Uh, one of the cooler things out there right now are cross-flow filters. Cross-flow filters are typically uh, made out of polymer fibers or ceramic. And basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to pump across the top of these in a recirculation type process. So we're coming out of the tank, going across our filter, back into the tank. And then slowly the filtered liquid is actually going to drop down through our filter membrane. Uh, this allows the filter to stay kind of clean because as the dirty fluid is moving across the filter, it wipes it clean. It, basically removes all that junk that built up from the clean fluid that dropped down through it. This makes them very efficient to use. And so we can pump things through there uh, in our fermentation bottoms, cleaning caustics, yeast, and strip out almost all of the fluid while leaving the larger particulates behind. The good news is that means despite these very expensive filters, they can actually pay you back eh, typically about three years or so because you're able to strip out more of that beer you're getting more of your product into the final packaging. So what do we do with these filters? Basically, there's four types of filtration. Primary filtration, trap filtration, fine filtration, and then final filtration. Depending on your brewery and how you guys are set up, you're probably not going to use all four. Typically, that's the realm of the really big guys. What we see kind of on the low end are our craft breweries who aren't distributing. All sales are done either through the tasting room or uh, in keg sales, you know, directly to other establishments. The beer is always cold. We really only need to do, you know, kind of that trap filtration, sometimes called primary in that situation, uh, and then the fine. And that'll allow us to get rid of the big chunks, assuming the beer style calls for it, while still moving product, you know, relatively quickly. Uh, really, we only need to do all four stages if we are looking at shipping cans, bottles, particularly with a fairly large range, and once you lose control of making sure your product is cold at all times. So primary filtration is about removing solids, bulk yeast from the beer. DE is what has always been used for this, and there's still a lot of people using it. 
if you are using DE, it has to be followed with a trap filter. Otherwise, some of that DE particulate will end up in your beer. For the big guys that are doing all this shipping, we also see a lot more cross-flow filtration. The payback period makes sense. So as long as you have the capital up front, this is a great use. You can rejuvenate that filter and make sure you're getting all of your beer out of there. Uh, sheet and cartridge filters are certainly used. They take a little bit more manual labor, though. Uh, mainly this is because they'll get overloaded. You got to get in there and change them out. Not a big deal, but if you're doing big batches, repeated batches, that's an extra step in that process that kind of gives you a negative. Primary filtration is also there to help reduce uh, some of our haze proteins in our hop resins. Sometimes this is good, sometimes this is bad. You know, obviously when we talk about filtration, there's always that debate of what are we removing and do we want to remove it? Uh, when you're removing your hop resins, are you removing hop flavor? When we're removing our proteins that cause haze, well, some of those also help with head. And so it's important to design these filters for the style of beer you're trying to create and make sure that the negatives that are that kind of come along with the process are balanced out or at least understood along with the positives of creating the beer you want. Creating crystal clear beer is great and certainly helps your customers, you know, really appreciate it. But it's not always required, and particularly when you're losing, you know, a little flavor or head along with it. Uh, along with those proteins and resins, you know, really what we're going for here are getting rid of the yeast. Uh, typically, we're looking at, you know, about 10 million cells per milliliter at this stage. Good sedimentation, having, a, you know, a good settling tank that will allow those yeast to drop out is the cheapest way to do it. Uh, unfortunately, it takes time, and sometimes time is more expensive than the filtration. So that's kind of the, the balancing act you're going to see here. Uh, when we're doing primary filtration, there's kind of three different regimes that we see used. If you're using DE, we're typically doing a half micron to 30 microns to make sure we're removing those yeast. Uh, if you're doing that, you want to back it up with a, a 5 to 15 micron trap just to catch that DE that might slip off there. Uh, if you're using a cross-flow filter, you can use a 0.65. This is almost going to get you down into the range of biological filtration, and a lot of people are using it for biological filtration. You can kind of do everything in one step. Uh, if we're using cartridges and sheets, uh, it's going to be on the higher end of all this stuff. We're going to be greater than 20 microns. They just clog too quickly otherwise. So some DE will get you up in that 20 to 30 range, but most of it's going to be below that. So really in terms of clarification in this stage, cartridges and sheets are going to be the worst job, uh, allow the most stuff to pass through, then most of your DE usage, and then the cross-flow filters are going to remove pretty much everything. Uh, when we're looking at those kind of 20 micron range for cartridges and sheets, it's important to realize that you need to be monitoring your differential pressure across those filters. Basically, what we're seeing here is as the filter clogs up, it takes more pressure to push our liquid through. Uh, so you look at the initial pressure going into the cartridge, what your pressure is on the line leaving the cartridge, uh, the difference between those is your differential pressure. It's, it's fairly simple. When we're using DE or a sheet filter, once we start seeing that differential climb up to about 7 PSI, it's time to stop, clean the filter, start over. There's just not enough strength there to really handle the, the bigger pressure uh, loads across the filters. With a cartridge filter, we can go all the way up to 30 PSI. Uh, they're, they're built different, they're built stronger, and that allows us to load them up a little higher. Uh, we can really crank across there. Of course, most of you don't have a pump that's going to be doing 30 PSI at any kind of rate, uh, which just basically means once your pump starts giving you problems, we're going to start changing out those filters. 
So once we get out of primary, uh, we're looking at our trap filtration, uh, sometimes called particle filtration. If you're skipping primary filtration, if you're just working, you know, your local distribution network, like I was saying, we'll start here. And this the trap filtration is there for a couple things. First of all, if you are running a DE filter, like I said, you have to have a trap behind it to make sure that DE doesn't make it into your product. Otherwise, what we're looking for are kind of sheet filters, cartridge filters, primarily, if we're skipping that primary step, that 20 micron cut. And that's going to give us, you know, a nice, bright, clear product and then get your product ready for any other filter aids, finings that you might be doing. We're not getting into finding on this show at all. Generally speaking, though, a lot of the things we talked about with primary filtration apply to particle filtration. Uh, sometimes we're just doing them back to back. Sometimes we're only running one of them. So we can kind of move on to the fine and final filtration. So this is our last step before we package it. If we're not going to go, you know, ship a can across the country, final filtration isn't that necessary. Finals where we're going to be really trying to focus on stripping out all the microbes and making sure aside from doing pasteurization that our product is you know as good and as clean as we're going to get it yeah final filtration is really about creating a shelf stable product uh, when we're doing fine filtration uh, the step here is mainly you know i don't know about a micron and a half uh, some people go a little bit smaller some people go a little bit larger uh, ideally this is about reducing haze and making sure that we're getting you know the proteins that we want in our beer depending on the style you're making this may or may not be necessary when we're going to final filtration, this is where we've got to get a little bit on the extreme side. Uh, Pediococcus is about a 0.6 micron size. Uh, Lactobacillus runs about a half micron. Yeast are running about three micron. So depending on what we're trying to remove, we're going to need to size that final membrane so that we're removing the product. Personally, I'm, I like going down to that 0.5 at least make sure that the worst and most common bacteria are removed. 0.65 is very common though, uh, like I said, with those cross flow filters. So it's just kind of about what you're looking to do, how pure you need it. Again, this is not a sterilization process. This is about removing the bacteria. So, you know, even if you're using a 0.65 filter, you're going to remove a percentage of those bacteria, which then buys you time for that product to still be shelf stable. I uh, mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I want to go through it one last time. Filters aren't the answer to everything. We know that hop-forward beers, IPAs, uh, American Pales, uh, when we strip them of our oils that are causing you know, some of that haze along with the proteins, uh, we are also removing some of the aromas, flavor, flavors, and resins. Basically, what that means is if we're trying to make an IPA, maybe we don't want to filter it quite as extremely as we would with a beer that's not so focused on the hops. Um, it, it's kind of a balancing act, trying to make sure the beer is what you're looking for. Same thing, if we're trying to get malt flavors into our beers, it's very important not to get really fine. Uh, this is when we can start removing uh, all those great aromas. And then, of course, there's lots of beers that historically aren't filtered. Whether we're talking a Hefeweizen, a Schwartz beer, Keller beers, these are styles that really shouldn't be filtered. Now, that's not to say that your Hefe should be covered in yeast. You know, we don't want to leave an inch in the bottom of our pint glass at the end of the day. Uh, it's much better to, you know, make sure the beer matures a little bit in a tank, rack off those yeast, and use that rather than truly filtering it. 
But not filtering isn't an excuse to get lazy and just pass along as much junk as you can. We also see a lot of new trendy styles, whether it's, you know, the new hazy IPAs, sours, those milkshake style beers, you know, where we're adding a little bit of that lactose sugar in there. If the style calls for it not to be filtered, that's great. But it's important that we're not just not filtering because it's easier to not filter. People start seeing that and assume that hazy is, you know, artistic and crafty where in some cases it's just wrong. Irish reds should not be hazy. They should be a nice clear beer. We're not talking, you know, newspaper at three meters, but you know, it's, it's a red. It's not a hazy beer. Uh, so it's important that when we look at this balancing act, of styles and filtration that we're choosing the right amount of filtration to create the style we're looking for without going overboard and stripping all the body and characteristic out of the beers. Thanks for listening to today. Uh, if you guys get a chance, please jump on iTunes and give us a review. We've only been out there for a couple of weeks now, and those early reviews are really helpful in getting more people to find us. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the BoozeWorks podcast. If you have a topic or question you'd like us to focus on for a future podcast, send us an email to podcast at boozeworks.com. Happy crafting and cheers. Cheers.